the giant Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. G'day, wonderful giants. It's Ram Castillo here on the Giant Thinkers podcast, bringing to you episode number 29. It's a busy month here at the GT camp. Besides this podcast, I'm finalizing the manuscript of my next book titled How to Get a Mentor as a Designer Guaranteed, organizing my next USA speaking tour for October to December and working on some exciting service design projects through the working week but I wouldn't have it any other way and I can't wait until my next book is ready and in your hands. Follow me on Snapchat for a daily peek into my day-to-day. You can also ask me questions directly through that. My username is The Giant Thinker. Now, today's guest has spent over 25 years guiding self-employed creatives and is the author of seven books, including The Designer's Guide to Marketing and Pricing and The Creative Professional's Guide to Money. She's the founder of marketing-mentor.com, a hub for resources, tools, and coaching, which offers practical advice and accountability for independent creatives who are serious about growing their business. She has been featured in numerous publications, including entrepreneur.com, Inc. Mag, The New York Times, The Washington Post, How Mag, and more. She offers powerful and practical tips that are easy to understand and you'll walk away with steps to building the foundation of a successful self-employed lifestyle. If you've ever wanted to knuckle down and go into business for yourself, but aren't sure how to start, then this is the episode for you. Some of the topics we talk about include how to find your niche and make it count, or niche, shall I say, for those giants from the States, how to get paid for what you're worth from clients, why having a proactive mindset is crucial to ongoing success, how to identify ideal clients and nurturing those relationships, and how to ensure a steady income when freelancing. Now, before we dive in, I wanted to share to you a quick story about a gentleman named Mike. One busy afternoon in 2003, Mike accidentally saved over an invoice and lost his work. Then and there, the inspiration for a now global company called FreshBooks was born. Eight years later and over 5 million users strong, FreshBooks has grown to be the number one cloud-based invoicing software for small businesses. Perfect for freelancers out there such as myself, you can easily send invoices, track time, manage expenses, and get paid online. Tina Roth-Eisenberg, founder of Creative Mornings, also known as Swiss Miss, said it saves me a huge amount of time. Forbes said it is incredibly user-friendly and CNET said it's refreshingly straightforward. The list goes on. It's been featured on Fast Company, Mashable, TechCrunch, and USA Today. Some of my favorite features personally include creating and sending an invoice in under 30 seconds. Your clients can pay you online, including using their credit card, 
and it even shows you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you've emailed. FreshBooks is offering a month of unrestricted use to all Giant Thinkers listeners, totally free right now. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash giant and enter Giant Thinkers in the how did you hear about us section. Really important. Once again, that's freshbooks.com slash giant. Uh, the clickable link is also in this post. All right, without further ado, I present one of the most impactful marketing leaders guiding the creative community. It's none other than Elise Bennon. Elise Bennon, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. It's so good to have you on the show. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Ram. You know, you've you've helped tons of self-employed designers and creatives grow their business. And I actually loved your creative live class on commanding the fees you deserve. So uh, thanks again for donating your time to help listeners on this topic. So first off, Elise, I have an icebreaker question for you. Uh, if you could teleport, where would you be the first place that you go and uh, why? You know, Ram, I have been spending my spare time filling in some of the gaps in my education lately because I wasn't the greatest student, so I missed a lot of things in school. And at the moment, I've been studying ancient Greece and Rome. And so that's the first place that comes to mind. I would love to go back to ancient Greece and see how they lived and see how they thought and just be in that environment. Unreal. And you've been to Rome, I'm sure, uh, you know, in, in, in the past. Yes, but I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't have the context. I didn't have the history. I would like to go back now with all of that, you know, just a little bit of it in my mind. Unreal. So let's get stuck into this. Um, I would love for you to share to the listeners, uh, where your expertise lies. So my business, which is called Marketing Mentor, is designed to help designers and other creative professionals who are essentially serious about the business side of their business, of their creativity. My expertise is in helping them learn the skills that they never learned or didn't learn in school or learned, but maybe kind of like me, didn't really focus on or take seriously because they maybe didn't think they would need it. I don't know why, but my expertise is all about the business side of the business. Sure. Okay. That's good. And uh, to kick things off, where would you say, um, you know, is is the the first sort of uh, exposure to for you to do that? Um, you know, was there something in your childhood that that triggered uh, your personal creativity, or, or how did your your childhood look like? Yeah, so I am uh, part of a long line of generations of self employed people. Basically, everyone in my family was always self employed. And so I didn't know anything else, frankly. And so I remember actually having an idea about a restaurant where you could come and cook your own food. That was like one of my first ideas. I don't know why anyone would want to go to a restaurant just to cook mm -hmm. their own food, but I was 
very early coming up with business ideas. And then uh, I also remember buying from the ice cream man who used to go around my Southern California neighborhood, uh, wax lips, buying them from him and then reselling them at recess the next day to my friends at school. So, you know, this impulse to be maybe quote unquote entrepreneurial goes way back. And then, you know, my parents had a, a fashion business in Southern California. And so they put me to work in the factory. I think I was the receptionist when I was 12. And, you know, it just went on from there. It just seemed like the most natural thing to me. Yeah. I love the, um, the cooking your own food thing. And I, and, you know, every time I go to a Korean barbecue place, I, uh, (laughs) where you get the, you know, your raw foods and then you've got the, uh, the, the little burner and the, the grill in the middle of the table, um, I always think to myself how uh, how genius of an idea that is, um, you know, and, and whoever has taken that uh, is is making a killing, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. So in your wealth of knowledge that you have, um, this is a question I get all the time uh, and I'd love your thoughts on it, but what are some key items of consideration that any full-time designer should have? before transitioning to freelancing or starting their own small business? And I work with a lot of people who are making that transition. And to me, there are two aspects to it. One is the mindset and the other is the practice. So the mindset is actually more important than the practice. You have to understand that when you make this transition, you're going from being an employee with an employee mentality to essentially being your own boss, where no one tells you what to do. Your clients may, but they shouldn't, right? You are a collaborator in the process, and you have to guide the process, and you have to basically take your business where you want it to go, and the only way to do that is with that very proactive as opposed to passive mindset, and that is the hardest thing, I think, for people to change, but it's definitely possible and so much more freeing when you can. And then the other aspect is the practice, which is essentially, you know, not assuming that you should know how to do everything that you're going to need to do just because you know how to do design or any other creative practice. So I often suggest to my clients that they moonlight, essentially, that they get gigs on the side, which most people do. But when most people are doing these side gigs, they're not exactly taking them seriously. They're not negotiating for the kind of pricing that they would need to if they were having to make a living at it. So my suggestion is that you practice while moonlighting moonlighting both the processes that you would do with your clients to get the work done plus all of the business-oriented marketing, bookkeeping, everything that supports the business. You just use that time, as long as it takes you, sometimes it'll take a year or more, to just practice the skills and develop the skills until you're just too busy with your side business to do your real job and you have to quit. That's kind of, that's the other question people ask is, how well I know when it's time to make the transition? You will know because you'll be too busy. Yeah, I love this. I love it. Okay, so um, what is coming to my mind uh, as uh, you were just saying all those wonderful things is 
the mindset uh, completely agree with that because there is a almost a um, stereotype that when you go freelance or when you uh, are your own boss, that you become more free. And that is the aspiration. And certainly there is a freedom there, but I think there is a a shock when it comes to the practice of it. And that the transitioning actually involves so many different hats. And uh, I guess uh, something that you touched on was um, was the the right time to do it, um, and and that leads me to something that I have been you know say, saying to a lot of people that have been speaking to me about it as well, which is uh, have a client base uh, already already there or a a pool of of clients of potential clients that you can tap into um, before transitioning. Um, huge, and I'm sure we can talk about that for for days. Um, but uh, in terms of finding their niche, um, how can designers and creatives uh, find or position themselves? And so this is related to what you just said about having a pool of clients, because that's a little tricky, right? Who are those people? It's easy to say, make sure you have a client base, but exactly who are those people, especially when you're just starting out, it's very difficult to have a niche. And the first thing I want to say about it is that it takes a long time. I mean, I've been in business for almost 30 years and I think it was really just after the first 10 years that it was clear to me that I had to keep focusing more and more narrowly. And I'm not saying it's going to take anyone out there 30 years. Hopefully you can learn from some of my experience, but it does take time. So you're going to choose a possible market or two and explore those markets by attending events and talking to people. All of it has to do with interaction, not so much research. It starts with research, but then you have to talk to the market and see what they actually need and where does that overlap with what you are interested in doing. And I think that's one of the main mistakes that I see most people making is that they think, Okay, what market should I go after? What do I love doing? No, you start the opposite way. What does the market need and how does that dovetail with what I love doing? I think um, we can talk a little bit more about this because uh, for designers that are emerging and starting out, um, I certainly have found a similar pattern um, where I was working full time for eight and a half years and I, in 2012, that was, I transitioned from full-time uh, design to uh, freelancing. And so uh, what's that four years on now, it's been, uh, it's been still me navigating and similar to, to you getting into uh, who is your audience and, and what do they need? So what can emerging designers do? Let's say if they are just graduating. Uh, I think um, choosing a niche, especially at the very beginning, at the beginning, you have to be a generalist because you have to be able to see what people need and talk to as many people as possible and just start doing a lot of different things so you can find out 
where your strengths are and where the, again, the market responds most positively to what you're offering. I mean, that's exactly how I found my niche of creative professionals. It's not like I woke up one day and said, oh, I think I'm going to go after creative professionals. What happened was I just started networking and everyone I knew happened to be a creative professional of one sort or another. Early on, it was artists and musicians and actors here in New York. But after that, it evolved into designers, all types of designers and writers and photographers, because those are the people who take the marketing seriously. And that is what I realized the actual need was. So again, this is what has taken me 30 years to figure out and uh, evolve into a viable business. But when you're starting out, you really do have to be broad and look around you. And then there are some specific things you can be looking for. And two come to mind. One is where is your actual experience and or passion? What do you love that you can actually get excited about? And this should not be confused with, you know, follow your passion and the money will come. I don't buy into that at all. But you do have to bring enthusiasm to what you do because otherwise they'll know it and it will have it will just be much stronger. But the other piece that I think most people don't think about is Where do you have connections? Where do you have access to a market, whether it's through people you know or are connected to literally on LinkedIn or even, uh, you know, what events are locally available that you can go and get in a room and talk to people and get the information you need to take your next steps? Yeah, um, I'm I'm loving what you're saying, because I think the the confusion that often happens is that, um, that, uh, people will, uh, fall in love with something. And then therefore that, you know, if they're not doing that, then they're not fulfilling their dreams and they're not as successful as, uh, what the world perceives. Um, when, when really it is the, it it is as much of exposing yourself to multiple, uh, creative outputs and ideas and markets that you become credible to speak about those things, to, uh, to share your knowledge about those things. And I think there is something there about not being too caught up in the niche, which you've already mentioned and going to the need with, and with, with which the need is always adapting and evolving. Well, there's another, I mean, if you don't mind a little plug, I did create a product in my online store called the Pick a Niche Kit. Oh, nice. I don't think people understand how many possible niches there are, first of all, or how many ways there are of thinking about it. And you're talking specifically about what I call a horizontal niche, which is an expertise in a particular software or a particular um, deliverable, essentially, whether you're a designer or a photographer or whatever it is. But um, I actually think the more effective way to think about a niche is an industry or a couple of industries or an umbrella idea that brings a couple industries together. Because you said before, is it dangerous not to have a niche? I would say it's not dangerous. It's just that having a focus, and really that's all we're talking about is focusing, Mm. having a focus 
it shows you everything you don't have to do. It allows you to weed out and say no to all the opportunities or the people that are going to be a total waste of your time so that you can focus and become competent and therefore confident at what you're actually doing. And all of those things are so interrelated, but if you don't have them in place, then it makes for an experience both for you and for your clients where you're just all over the place and nobody knows clearly what you offer or how you're different from anyone. And it's really just then you're at the mercy of whoever happens to find you. Yeah, that's really, really cool. I I do uh, love the plug as well. Um, (laughs) That's... uh... That's something that I'm sure everyone will will find useful. How can listeners get better clients with bigger budgets, do you think? And that's really the crux of my practice, whether I'm working one-on-one with a client or the tools that I sell in the the Marketing Mentor store. Mm. It's all designed to help you kind of rise up from where you are in your business, which again is usually a very passive position, taking what comes along, calling it word of mouth, glorifying it. But that's really all it is, is taking what comes along and saying, who do I want to work with and who can afford and who values what I bring to the table? And so you have to be really clear exactly who those people are, who those companies are, and then you have to go look for them. I have a client in mind who is uh, in a community here in New York and at the top of his community, but it's also a very small community and he wants to break out of it. So we're exploring other possible markets and, you know, just going through this process of evaluating, does the boutique hotel market have the need and are they aware of the need for his high-end design services and can they pay for it? You have to choose a market and then interact with the people in that market to determine, can they pay what I need to charge? Essentially, that's the key because the complaint I hear people make, and it's got a lot of whining involved, is Mm -hmm. why won't the people I'm trying to work with pay what I deserve, which is just the wrong way to think about it. And usually the answer is go find better people. Mm. It's it's really uh, a conversation that uh, revolves around uh, service design and tapping into the uh, cultivation of, of, who are you? What do you want? Uh, what is your aspiration? And then going into uh, what's the best market that you can serve based on those those things that you can offer, and and also the conversion of a sale. Uh, what I'm thinking about here is a conversation I had recently with a, a gentleman uh, who uh, specializes in email funneling and uh, uh, CRM communications, and he basically has a very, very high turnover. But the reason why it's so high is because he's curated the the potential customers uh, that are 90% to 100% interested. So he goes through a brutal process of finding people that actually truly want his products. And he does not waste time trying to convince others who are sitting on the fence or are maybes with uh, his product. 
And I think that's really important because the purpose of marketing, the purpose of the marketing tools that I recommend, like email marketing or networking, is to educate your prospects and your market and qualify your prospects so that when they get to you, they're ready, they're primed. You don't have to waste time trying to persuade them of anything. That's the purpose of your marketing. Yeah, spot on. And and it's it's uh, I'm experiencing this myself. Uh, the the idea of putting your price uh, at a premium, for example, if you are creating uh, like a tier one, tier two, tier three, let's say, and a tier three being your most expensive product or service, uh, there will be people that are willing to pay that. Um, and it's about finding those specific people and naturally they become the niche. And actually, um, you know, this does go back to the idea of the niche because often people say to me, <laughs> I had a call with someone last week, a writer who was like, what niche should I go into as if I had a list of them <laughs> and I could just say, here's the one for you or here's the best one lately. It's not as easy as that. And the thing is that almost any niche could be worthwhile, but it's not the niche itself. You have to find, and this is where being proactive comes in again, you have to find the cream of the crop, basically. It's the small minority at the top of the industry, at the top of the pyramid, who are the ones who will value and pay for higher-end services. And the rest of them, you have to figure out how to weed out. Yeah, agreed, agreed, totally. And the... The idea that um, that you would look for a niche uh, is already a concern um, because it it ideally and anyway, I didn't personally I, I'm only drawing from my experiences I didn't set set out to uh, find a niche I I set out to help people based on my experiences. Um, and hence, Giant Thinkers was born to help emerging designers. That's an interesting idea, Ram. You know, and I think I could argue both sides. Do you go looking for your niche or does the niche find you? And I think it's a combination of the two. I think I got lucky. I started very early and the niche found me and I responded positively to it. Because some people just ignore the niche because it's not what they want to do. But uh, I think it can find you, but I think it saves time, actually. It would have taken me less time if I'd been more proactive and said, here's who I'm interested in working with. Let me go see if they need me. And if so, what do they need? Agreed. Yeah. It is certainly about being self-aware and having a, a radar or a sensitivity to opportunities out there. So that's really cool. Uh, let's dive into, uh, dealing with, with, uh, with clients that can be quite difficult to deal with. Have you got one or two ways that we can better handle, um, difficult clients? Yes. But if you don't mind, tell me what kind of difficult you're talking about, because there are so many different types of difficult. Sure. Let's go with uh, clients that are that seek your service and then become quite 
prescriptive uh, despite trying to collaborate and explain and show options of uh, solutions that ultimately are for their best interest anyway. So you're talking about clients who think they know what they need and basically just want someone to execute on their ideas? Yes, I think that is something that uh, the audience would be able to better, uh, I guess, better handle. I think Mm -hmm. in their minds, I certainly thought when I first started out that I knew the right answer, but when it came down to the conversation, I often buckled. Mm, I just did what they asked. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I think this goes back to the business mindset and understanding that you are not the employee. You are a collaborator and you have to begin by positioning yourself that way from, you know, the very first conversation with any client or prospect. And that manifests in many different ways and little teeny things that you wouldn't even think of perhaps. But for example, when you talk about a project and you talk about deadline, do you say, when do you need it? Or do you say, I could get this to you within a month? How would that be? Mm, Very important. Right? So that difference positions you as someone who is professional in charge of the process, knows exactly what they're doing, and isn't going to take, you know, what the clients, not, and, and it's not like you're giving an ultimatum, right? But you are making it clear that you have a way of doing this, and you will adjust according to the needs of the client, as opposed to that more passive way of, all right, tell me how much you want to pay for it, and tell me when you need it. Which some people think of as accommodating, but really it's more like a doormat in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you you tapped into the uh, transparency of communications, especially in terms of timeline. Uh, it then taps into managing their expectations. And exactly. in the long term, uh, not in a bad way, but training them that this is how, yeah, this is how I work. And in order to deliver you the best outcome, uh, this is the time that it needs to take. And this is the, uh, the process involved. Yes. And so going back to, you know, how do you deal with clients who are difficult in this way? First of all, ideally you want to weed them out because those are not the people you want to work with. And so again, that means that in your marketing, you talk about the collaborative process on your website. You have a page that describes how you work and who your ideal client is. And that's one of the qualities of your ideal client is that they're looking for a partner. They're looking for a collaborator, not just someone, a pair of hands essentially. And you can literally say that on your website. So that way you weed out the people who are going to be difficult. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you mentioned uh, stating the obvious. Um, that's something that I very much advocate, especially when it comes to uh, the audience listening. And they've heard me say this on my creative live class and uh, it's in my, my, my book, How to Get a Job as a Designer, where I literally say to them that you have to make it clear that on your resume or your LinkedIn profile or your website, that 
this is what I'm interested in and this is what I'm looking for and being so specific um, to the point where you list out at the very beginning your career objective and and speaking in in simple terms that I'm looking for a junior design role or a uh, uh, midweight digital design role at a a small agency based in Chicago uh, who are uh, people that are in love with uh, conversation and the art of of better experiences, you know, wh- whatever it may be. But being that specific up front uh, is is very much speaking to to what uh, you're advising as well, which which is great. And I would say there's less and less of a difference between controlling your career and controlling your business. Because I find that a lot of people, first of all, go back and forth between being employed and being self-employed. There's a much more porous line there these days. And I think it will only get porouser, if I can use that. Mm. And so that means that there's no such thing as job security. As soon as you land that job, you need to know that you're aware and looking for and open to the next one because you never know what's going to happen. And if you can fall back on being self-employed also, uh, that is always a good thing. And so I think that this idea of being clear about what you're looking for also um, goes against the perception that a lot of people have of designers and other creatives that they're flaky, that they don't know what they want, that they're unreliable. Mm. And so being specific and clear basically says, I'm not like that. And it puts a different, more realistic, I think, face on what it means to be a designer. And, and that is your responsibility. Yeah, for sure. And it, it reminds me actually of a conversation I had recently where I uh, had been getting uh, a few inquiries of uh, jobs that I used to do, but don't do anymore. So they could be, I would, I would say uh, more of a smaller project type of, of gig. And uh, whether it's, uh, you know, let's just say, call it like a branding job of some sort. Um, and now I'm very, very clear about and, and confident, I might add as well, that uh, I don't do those jobs anymore um, and that I don't just palm them off for the sake of palming them off. But I, I very much explain to them that uh, the projects that I prioritize now are the the largest scale projects for these types of companies. Um, and they are in the three month to nine month project mark rather than the the one week, two week mark. And, uh, there are of course different, um, variables in it. But then I also say that, um, I have, I can recommend other, uh, other designers for you. And, um, I think there's something about, uh, yeah, being clear with what you want and when the right opportunity does come, it just becomes, you know, a a match made in heaven, uh, I guess, in a way. (laughs) But Ram, tell, let me ask you a question then, Go for because it. a lot of people are afraid to say no. Basically, you're talking about declining projects. Mm. Why are you not afraid to say no to the smaller projects? It took me over 12 years to get to this point. Um, it took me specifically uh, knowing my worth 
which is a mix of what I'm good at, what I enjoy, and uh, what I will get paid well at, with. So those three things. When when those three things align, the enjoyment, the the uh, delivering uh, something that I know is uh, of good value for myself and my client, and the the financial reward. Um, that's when I know it's a win-win. And what I would add to that is marketing, hmm. because if you, I don't know if you are, but if one is marketing themselves regularly and clear on the kind of job or project that they're interested in and going after it, then you know that there will be more coming down the pike or that your pipeline is full or filling and that there is something there that will convert as opposed to a lot of people are terrified to decline anything because they don't know what's coming next. Mm, that is very, very true. And to that point, uh, Elise, I, uh, to give you a bit of context and those listening as well, the uh, if I'm being used as a dummy for this, uh, this context here, this example, but the, the thing that I do now is target very, very large agencies and companies who have overflow of work. So I'm talking the, the, the advertising agencies that might have McDonald's and Audi, where I was the design director for uh, DDB here in Sydney for, um, uh, for their, uh, subsection, uh, previously known as rap. And, um, so doing large client work like that, where, where now we're talking about, okay, I'm delivering at that level. So an agency like JWT might hire me for another project and then go to an agency like uh, Clemenger. So jumping from these big clients, um, I'm now more comfortable because I guess I've a built a network of it and I have demonstrated the ability to do that. Um, and, and from that portfolio of work, uh, I don't have so much of a scarcity mindset anymore. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think network, I'm sorry, marketing allows you to do the image in my mind, the analogy that I use is of having your foot on an accelerator so that when you see, because a feast or famine is, is um, a syndrome that a lot of people get caught up in. They're either really busy or they have nothing. And I think that marketing yourself can smooth out, not eliminate completely, but smooth out some of those waves. And the analogy is to have a system in place where as you look ahead and you can see that in a couple of months, it's going to slow down or you're going to have a gap. And what can you do now? What two or three simple things can you do now to put your foot on the accelerator to generate a little bit of extra interest that will come to fruition in a couple of months. I mean, you have to have a system in place to control it to that point, but that is the potential of marketing. Hmm. And what, how can we get into, get, sorry, get out of this, this feast or famine uh, cycle? Would you say? Well, this idea of stepping on the gas, you know, um, I'll give you an example. I have a client 
who is a web designer. She's the web designer for designers, basically. That's her target market. And she knows that she can has the capacity to take on three or four new projects a month. And she has a blog and a newsletter, and she does a lot of content marketing. So she's constantly growing that list and regularly reaching out to her people on a monthly basis. And in those monthly messages, email marketing is huge. It's very effective, very, very effective. In those email messages, she is starting to tell people, I have the next opening two months from now. If you're interested, let's chat. So that she's planting seeds in the minds of people who are planning ahead because she also does not want to work with people who need it yesterday. And that's part of her kind of ideal client persona, who she's looking for is not someone who needs it yesterday. So she's planting those seeds. She's got her schedule of chats that she does. And when she knows that, okay, here's my next opening, she has two or three people she can just call and say, I want to save this for you if you want it. Otherwise, I'm going to give it to someone else. And Mm. it's not a lie. It's true. Yeah, I, I I love that. I also get emails from uh, from uh, many people that I follow, uh, such as Ramit Sethi, uh, uh, Lewis Howes, um, Neil Patel, who's who's been on uh, the show as well. And uh, yeah, they're very much about having that uh, that style of uh being super down to earth but really being upfront with what's to come how they run and when doors are going to close mm-hmm. which is great so uh how can emerging designers who i guess are still finding their identity how can they develop their own marketing style would you say is it just uh speaking in the tone of voice of their own personality Yes and no. Um, Again, going back to this idea that the market comes first. I like to say that self-promotion is not about you. Mm. It's about your market. So your own style involves finding the tools, the marketing tools that you will actually do. It makes no sense to use tools that you're not actually going to do. So yes, you have to speak in your voice and use the tools that you will actually do. But more important, it has to speak to the needs and in the language of your ideal clients, of your target market, so that they understand that you get it, you get them. That's the whole point. So Mm. the idea of your own style, I mean, again, this is something that takes time to develop. And my advice is don't assume before you try something that it's not going to work for you. I had a client the other day say, I am not going to do a blog. <laughs> and I was like, why? What, what is it about a blog that you're just not going to do? And it turned out she had a very um, kind of disjointed definition of what a blog was and what it meant she had to do and how often she had to do something. And I just tried to expand the definition of the word for her so that she could see that the whole point of a blog is to demonstrate what you know. And if you do it once a month, that's fine. And if you do it in an email newsletter, that's fine. You know, don't prejudge. That's my advice. Don't prejudge what a particular tool will or won't do for you, especially, you know, what gets called cold calling or what I call direct outreach or warm email prospecting, which is much more assertive 
uh, as you, again, reach out directly to the people you literally want to work with and say, I love what you're doing. I think we'd be a great fit. Let's talk if you're interested. Yeah, this is a a big thing that I also uh, resonate with uh, in terms of just A-B testing. You know, you can't really come to a conclusion until you test it. And that includes uh, trying uh, not not just because it, it's it's something that you're good at, but things that you're not good at too, or that you feel that you don't have experience in. I mean, I never thought I would um, be a writer by by any means, but the fact that I started with a blog and then that got me comfortable enough to to write a book, uh, it was those incremental things, and and in fact, even podcasting, like. Even the way I'm interviewing now, you now isn't, uh, a, you know, exactly um, a very uh, polished, you know, super, super, um, you know, tight knit interview style. But that's just my personality, and I'm sure that I'll get better as I continue on. So, um, yeah, I highly recommend that that advice as well. Um, now let's move the needle a little to relationships before we start winding down. Now. Uh, we all know that relationships make or break businesses. So how do you think we can cultivate relationships that will last? Is there a, a big thing that we should keep in the back of our mind? There are two things I would recommend, and I'm speaking here from experience, and I have an email newsletter called Quick Tips from Marketing Mentor that I send out just a quick tip every other week, essentially. And people have been on that list for years. And they reach out to me when they're ready, years later, to say, okay, I'm ready to work with you. So this is what I was saying before about cultivating relationships. But in order to do that, you have to stay in touch. And that's the thing that most people do not carve out the time and protect the time for their own self-promotion and marketing to stay in touch with their network. And that could be a simple email newsletter once a month or once every other month or at the minimum quarterly, or it could be going through your LinkedIn network and just pinging people and saying, hey, how are you doing? Or noticing some change that they made on their profile, but staying in touch is the key and you must carve out time and protect it in order to do it. That's the first piece of advice. The other is give, basically. Give, give, give. Be generous. Show you care. So what that looks like is, for example, if you are interested in a particular company and you've reached out to them and they haven't responded to you, you do not take it personally. You do not take it as a rejection. Silence is not a rejection. It just means that they either don't have time to respond or you don't know what it means. And that's the biggest problem I see people doing is assuming that they know what's going on when they have no idea on the other side. So using those opportunities to give essentially. So if you see an article or a link or a post that you think would be of interest to someone that you're interested in working with, you just pass it along. It's the simplest thing. And that shows that you're thinking of them, that you're staying in touch with them, that you're serious. And this is what keeps you top of mind so that when their moment of need comes, they think of you, they remember you, they know how to reach out to you because at bottom marketing is about timing and you have to be in the right place at the right time. Otherwise you can't make the connection. Yeah, totally. It reminds me of uh, 
Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, books, uh, Jab, 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 Right Hook, which he, he basically talks about that similar thing. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people uh, uh, really uh, know it, but they the practice of it, I think, lacks. And, and for me, when it all clicked uh, was when I just started thinking, you know, how can I give generously and lead with care? And all my actions surrounding that, uh, whether it be a post a day or whether it be a, uh, a quick little video, um, and posting that or, or whatever it is, it's, it was, uh, speaking to the audience, uh, at a, at a time and a place that they had a deep pain point with, um, and a lot of the times, you know what, it could just be inspirational or motivational or, or, um, you know, empathetic to them. Um, and, and that over time, and it's funny, there was a girl that came and visited me in Washington, DC. And she said, we have never met, but we, we exchanged tweets three years ago and you sent me a couple links to some resources. And now I'm working as a designer and I drove three and a half hours just to see you and thank you. Mm-hmm. And and it's that very thing. You, you don't know who's on the other side, but you just got to keep pu- putting it out there and, and yeah, giving, as you said. And actually, just one other thought, because um, even this morning before I spoke to you, I responded to a message that I got last night from someone who was asking if I had any resources in the event industry. And when I got the message, it was late. And my reaction was kind of negative, like, "Ah, that's just, I don't know anything about that. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't act on that reaction, luckily. Uh And then this morning, again, I went back to the message and I thought, oh, I do know of one place she could look. So I just sent her that link. And who knows, you know, what that will, where that will take her. But I think back to your idea about self-awareness, it's important. What I know about myself is that I don't take seriously any of my reactions after 6 p.m., actually, because they're usually based on hunger or tiredness. And, you know, I'm much more open and generous in the morning. Yeah, I love that. And I think uh, the the listeners uh, will love that, too. That's super practical. You know, don't make decisions when you're tired or when you're uh in a, in an impulsive sort of, you know, uh, pessimistic state even, or, you know, when you're just grumpy, (laughs) that's a, that's a good one. So, uh, let's wind down now. Uh, Elise, you, um, you have a few more questions here, um, that I ask all my guests. So, uh, one of them is, uh, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? That person who has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential. So, I mean, I do have a teacher who shall remain anonymous, but uh, I think the important thing is that this person has my best interests at heart and you really do have to find someone who thinks that way, who can guide you. I think everyone needs a teacher. We need guidance. We can't do this by ourselves. And, you know, if I had to name someone, I would, I would go back to the Romans and say Marcus Aurelius because uh, I... I read him every day just as a way to start the day because it's much more grounding than what's in the newspaper. Fantastic. And uh, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Elise Bennon, uh, perhaps the Elise finishing high school, what would you tell her? I would tell her that to take her learning seriously and study harder and be more serious. 
Very good. All in under 30 seconds. So what else is uh, going on with you uh, this year and beyond? So uh, I'm part of the How Design Live, which is a big design conference every year. And so we're starting to think about next year in Chicago, which is happening May 2nd through 6th, 2017. And I'm also building more products for my online store and doing more teaching through different schools. So just continuing to, I'm kind of a content machine. So I'm always Mm -hmm. looking for outlets for my content. Great. And I hugely recommend all of you giant thinkers uh, head on over to, uh, to to see Elise's stuff. Um, I was just there recently because she's been adding a lot of stuff on her store, as she mentioned. Uh, wh- where can they get you on the URL, uh, Elise, the, uh, just to, just to get, get the exact URL and perhaps your handle on social media? Sure. So it's marketing-mentor.com. I always make sure to put that hyphen in there, marketing-mentor.com. And I'm on Twitter at MM Toolbox. Great. Well, Elise, that's all for uh, for this uh, episode. It was uh, it went by very quickly. So um, I wish I could uh, have you uh, for even longer, but I know you're a busy woman. So thank you so much for your time and being so generous with it in sharing your story with us and your knowledge. Uh, It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Ram. What an episode. As a freelancer myself and someone who made the transition back in 2012, I can honestly say that while it was a bit daunting, it was incredibly exciting. Having someone like Elise share her wisdom and guidance so generously has helped thousands with their creative growth, and I know it'll help you too. If you'd like to check out her online store, including the Pick A Niche kit Elise mentioned, head to marketing-mentor.com or click the link on the Giant Thinkers post, which hosts this episode. Now, a sneak peek onto the next one. We have an amazing guest all the way from Scotland lined up. She is a designer, innovator, entrepreneur, and TEDx speaker known as the Red Jotter, which is also the name of her popular design blog. She co-founded Snook, Scotland's leading service design and social innovation agency, and is now the head of service design for GoodLab, who collaborate with 12 of the UK's top charities and industry experts to help the charity sector flourish and achieve their goals. Management Today named her as one of the UK's top 35 businesswomen under 30, and Elle also featured her as one of the 30 women under 30 changing the world. So stay tuned if you haven't already. Sign up to the mailing list on giantthinkers.com. It'll take 10 seconds and you'll get an email from me uh, when each episode gets released. Before you race off, as mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I highly recommend you check out FreshBooks if you're a small business owner, especially if you're a freelancer. I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't think it'd be valuable for you. Another feature that I love about FreshBooks is that it sends late payment reminders to your clients automatically, which means you're not chasing them down to follow them up. To be honest, most of us designers and creatives are simply not numbers people. And this cloud-based accounting platform was created for us. FreshBooks is offering a month of unrestricted use to all Giant Thinkers listeners, totally free right now. To claim your free month, all you need to do is go to freshbooks.com giant. 
and enter giant thinkers in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, that's freshbooks.com slash giant. The clickable link is also in this post. That's a wrap, Giants. I'll leave you with this quote that I'm pondering from one of Elisa's books. She says, a successful business is centered around a market and that market's needs. It's not centered around your wishes and desires. Ideally, what you want will overlap with what they need, but what you want should not be the source. 